The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then just at the top of the next page from Genesis. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Thanks, David. Okay, um, thank you for being here. We're, we're going to look at something that is absolutely fundamental to your profession if you are a lawyer. If you are not a lawyer, what are you doing here? No. <laughs> if you're not a lawyer, you're very welcome. If you're in fine, not sure what's fundamental. Uh, this is fundamental as well uh, in the sense of what is a human being. So I guess all of us have an interest in that given that we def would define ourselves as being human. Um, I hope that you, before you came in here, you all stocked up on your toilet paper uh, because uh, apparently human beings, amongst other things, are incredibly stupid. And uh, there was a case last night of a man, or a woman rather, being arrested for stabbing someone over a fight over toilet paper in Woolies. Of all the things I've heard about fights of in Australia, uh, and you guys fight almost as much as Scots or the Irish, um, I, that is one that just utterly astounds me. But what it means to be human is, is hugely significant because you, you, it's kind of one of those things that you think, well, what's obvious? I mean, you talk about human rights. What does that mean? Well, there's a problem. The Australian philosopher Peter Singer talks about um, apes having human rights. Well, I, I would argue that apes could have ape rights, but having human rights, how does that work? Um, and what, where do we get this concept of human rights for? It's fundamental in our system today. It's fundamental in our legal system. But what does it actually mean and where do they come from? And to define that, you need to say what is a human being. So let me give you an interesting case. What would you do with this? There's a film just come out. I think it's Danish. It's just won several awards. But it's created an enormous fuss because it has a child playing an 11-year-old robot and this uh, man has sex with this 11-year-old robot. Now, the argument is this is not pedophilia because it's a robot. But where do you cross the line with that? How would you work? So if that is being prosecuted, 
which it is likely to be, then what is involved there? Or here's another one. Again, I never thought I would see this in my lifetime, and I'm sure most of you are culturally aware enough to know that this isn't a joke. But I recently saw four politicians being interviewed, and they were asked, what is a woman? And none of them could answer. So automatically, they don't get my vote, especially if I am a woman, which in today's age, by the time I get out of here, I could be. Uh, it, it's, just, uh, it's just something. You know, I, I never, ever thought, my feminist friends who 10 years ago I would be on a platform and feminists would be throwing things at me, now we're allies in the same cause because we recognize there is such a thing as a woman and my personal view is I think all Christians should be feminists anyway. Uh, and yet we find, it's very interesting, isn't it, with all the toilet stuff. Men's toilets are not being removed. Not at all. But women's are. So it's very interesting. What is male? What is female? What is it to be a human being? What is man? Is a, uh, using man there in the sense of humanity is a title of a very famous essay by Martin Luther King published in 1959 in which he argues that humanity is more than an animal and less than God. Um, and I would say that all of you as lawyers must have that as an absolute fundamental um, Otherwise, you're going to end up um, trying animals for crimes. My favorite story of that is from Kentucky. Um, apologies if you are American. I'm not having a go at you for being American. It's just this happened in America. Where else? Um, <laughs> and, sorry, uh, I'll, give, I'll give, come back to that in a minute. Oops, wrong way around. The story is of an elephant called Mary. And Mary trampled on her trainer and killed the trainer. So the good folks of this town in Kentucky decided that they would try Mary for murder. And Mary was found guilty, so they decided to hang her. The trouble was, it's kind of difficult to hang an elephant. So they, they had to go and bring in chains from other towns. And for ever since, they were, they were, they were known. In fact, they even had it as a sign on their, on, on their, on their town sign, the, the town that hung Mary the elephant. Well, why is that ridiculous? Because... Elephants don't have moral culpability. Animals don't have moral culpability. Humans do. Now, we will, we will come to that. But if we were to ask this, that, that's what you are if you're a human being. All the different things that you're made up of. Um, <laughs> I like the fact that I'm 80% carbon. And I actually saw this. Somebody, This is how insane the world is going. I heard someone suggest if we want to reduce carbon footprint, get rid of a billion human beings and get rid of an awful lot of carbon. Um, that uh, we're sulfur, 0.2%. We are, we are sulfur. Now, all of that, our composition, Bertrand Russell argued this. He said, we are, or you are, a blob of carbon floating from one meaningless existence to another. He clearly didn't have the scientific knowledge to throw in the magnesium, the sulfur, and everything else. But that is what you could be. I remember speaking to a woman who's absolutely brilliant postdoc research scientist, chemist, and I said to her, do you believe that everything is chemical? And she said, yes. And I said, do you live like that? And she said, no, I couldn't. And she didn't see how having that fundamental disconnect was a real problem. Because if everything is chemical, then, I mean, I was just hearing... Uh, I mean, I don't want to alarm you, uh, as well as the run on toilet paper uh, and, and the bushfires and the floods... 
and uh, the locusts in Africa and coronavirus from China and earthquakes in um, Turkey. Uh, there are now a plague of rats in Sydney. Uh, you know, what makes you think, what makes you certain that if the plague of rats infests your house, that you have the right to kill them? You have the right to remove them. Are they any worse than you? Are they any better than you? If we're just chemicals, you really have no logical basis for saying that. And that has a lot of implications in other things as well. <coughs> you are just a blob of carbon floating from one meaningless existence to another. The psalmist asked the question, what, is, what, what are human beings? And I... I actually have more and more sympathy with this viewpoint as we go on, because in, as I go on in life, because working out what a human being is is essential in so many areas of life. Let me say this first of all: human beings are created. I always I, I love um, when you get secular newspapers coming up with articles which tell you what the Bible's been saying for a long time. The Guardian published this article about Earth being a water world as though it was some stunning new revelation. And it basically, it was arguing that the Earth was once all covered in water and then that the land and the animals and everything evolved out of that. I'm saying, yeah, guys, you're a bit slow. Read Genesis 1. But human beings, I'm arguing, are created. I'm going to say like everything else is created. We are not uncreated. The only uncreated being, or the only uncreated thing, the only uncreated being is God. We are created in God's image. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. Now, there's a whole, bu there, there's so much in these two verses that are fundamental and core to how we live as human beings and how our society is. So, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, Please do not make the error that so many people make that it means that we look like God. We don't. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. It doesn't mean that we look like, does God look male? Does God look female? No, it's a meaningless question. The, the, the sense of God being male or female, by the way, is an interesting one as well. But biblically speaking, he's not male nor female. We use, uh, because he's revealed in that way, the revelation but there are, there's no XXXY or anything like that. And there's no gender in the sense of societal gender construct because God is beyond and above all that. But being made in God's image in this um, means in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Um, for those of you who are Christians uh, who haven't yet reached the absolute peak of belonging to Presbyterianism um, <laughs> or, or backslidden down that route, um, you may not know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, which is it's, it's a wonderful tool, and I would recommend you use it. If not, if you or the, the Dutch, the Heidelberg uh, Catechism is wonderful. But I love the question that they have: How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after His own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. That's a that's a brilliant definition. It tells you three things. Human beings are rational. That is extremely important. Never let go of the fact that humans are rational. The idea that we just move by our feelings or our chemistry, we have the capacity to think, 
we have the capacity to verbalize, we have the capacity to communicate in that way. Human beings are moral. Now, again, this is really important. Again, for those of you who are Christians, do not fall into the trap of saying human beings are amoral without morality or immoral, or that it's only Christians who are moral because they have the Bible. The Bible does not make us moral. The Bible presupposes that we are made in the image of God, that we are moral, and that we are accountable. And that is incredibly important in lots of ways. I remember a young man one time who was, um, well, he's, I think, 12 years old, and he uh, was smashing up a youth club I was in, and I took him outside. Uh, I held up his head against the wall. I realize now you couldn't do this. Uh, one of you guys would be prosecuting me. But uh, he accidentally, and it was an accident, did bang his head off the wall, and he said, you can't do that, you can't do that. And I said, no, I apologize for that. I didn't mean to do that. But I said, you cannot smash up. I mean, literally at a crowbar, smashing up a table tennis table. You can't do that. And he says, I'll get the police on you, the police. I'll get the police on you. And I said, no, no, you won't. I said, because who are the police going to believe? You, a wee nyaf, as we called him, uh, or, or me, you know, an upstanding minister. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, you can't do that. And I said, nah. I said, that, look, come on, mate. I said, I want you to stay here. Your mum is desperate for you to stay here. She says your behavior has improved 100% since you came here. I said, I feel so sorry for her because if this, if this is an improvement, you know, she, she, her life must be misery. And she said, it probably is. He was, he was amazing. He said to me, I'm brain damaged. And I went, all right, okay, you're brain damaged. He said, I can't help it. I'm brain damaged. And I said, and this was true. It turned out to be true. He had an accident in the car when he was eight years old, and he was brain damaged. So I said to him, okay, you're going to stay here, but I'm going to give you a choice. You get two options. You can be treated like a human or you can be treated like an animal. He said, what do you mean? I said, look, if I treat you like an animal, I'm saying you can't help what you're doing. You're going to wreck the place. So everywhere you go, two of my leaders are going with you, whether it's the toilet or whatever. You ain't going nowhere without somebody being with you to restrain you because you can't help it. He says, what does it mean to be treated like a human? I said, I was hoping you'd ask that question. And it's simply this. Are you aware when you're just about to lose it? Are you aware you're tipping towards that point where you're just going to go crazy, where your fuse is so short? And he says, yeah, I think so. I said, okay, here's the deal. Being treated like a human is this. The minute you begin to feel anything like that, you stop whatever you're doing, you drop it, you run, and you find me. That's the deal. So I'm going to treat you the same as everybody else. You get to do what you want. You get to be free. But you come to me, immediately you feel, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to lose it. I said, you can lose it with me, that's fine, I don't mind. But you, you're not losing it with the other kids. And you know, it worked. Not completely, he still had moments. But it really did work, and he ended up being able to go back to school, he ended up getting a job. And I remember when he was incredibly grateful for being treated like a human being. I think our courts, by the way, that's what you should do. You should treat people like moral, accountable human beings. It, with the rare exceptions, they do exist, of people who've lost all moral culpability and who've lost all rationality. And that is a severe illness. Humans are rational, humans are moral, and the third thing is humans are spiritual. Uh, And that, again, is what we say by being made in the image of God. There's a longing for something eternal. There's a longing for something more. Out of that arises the sense of beauty. Out of that arises art. Out of that arises love. Out of that arises all the great things about humanity. Let me just add a couple of things here. I would argue what the Bible teaches, 
it's also self-evident that humans uh, are created with gender, male and female. Now, don't make the mistake of taking the 0.001% of the population who are intersex. They still have XXXY. You, it's, it's a really, really bad idea to make laws according to exceptions. There are always exceptions. But gender, we are created male and female. And what does that mean? Now, it doesn't mean I have a lot of sympathy with those who see gender as a social construct because they perceive gender as being portrayed in terms of roles. It's very, very interesting. I knew a woman when I, uh, in my um, Highland village where I was. And uh, today, she would have been asked to get an operation. She would have been told she was male because she was a mechanic and she dressed in men's clothes and so on. But she wasn't. She was just, why fit the stereotype? Here's the irony. After decades of feminists fighting uh, sexist stereotypes, the transgender stuff is bringing them back. How do you know you're a woman? You wear red lipstick and high heels. That's how you identify. And you think, where, where, did, where did all this go? Why did it work out like that? So gender, we're created male and female. Identity, what is our identity? Ultimately, I would argue that human identity is found only in our creator because we are made in the image of God. Marriage, huge issue in legal terms. Um, where does marriage come from? Marriage is not a social construct. Marriage is not something that arose out of Christianity. Marriage is something that God gave before the fall to all human beings. It is a societal norm. It is the means by which uh, children are, are brought up. I mean, basically, I mean, you're all very clever people. If there are no children, there will be no human race in a decade's time, a couple of decades' time. But this is saying this is the best environment for children to be brought up. And never in human history has there been found anything else that works. And also, humans are societal beings. We, um, we serve one another. We, you, know, um, you, you may think life would be wonderful if I was able to sit in here and have breakfast on my own. Uh, sometimes I like that. Sometimes I want out. I want space. But in reality, we need society. We need people. And because we've, we've been made communal animals. Now, what happened is... And this is a very brief summary. There's the fall. And that is when humanity, given the choice between serving God or not serving God, chose to reject God. The fallout of that is considerable. So that does affect the environment. There is a human factor in climate change. It does affect society. And it does affect our relationships with one another. I have really good news for you, or it may be bad news. There are no lawyers in heaven because you won't be needed. Um, I, I don't think there'll be any doctors either. Uh, it's not saying that doctors or lawyers can't go to heaven. It's just going to have a different occupation. So make the most of the one you've got while you're here. But it, it's we go our own way. We act as God. We determine our own right and wrong. And that creates chaos in society. Because if the law is not king, it means that the king is the law. And it means that the rich and the powerful get to determine what the law is. And it means what you are putting forward as law today in 10 years' time, may be illegal because it's determined by people chopping and changing. I would argue that autonomy is at the root of many of our problems. Sin ultimately is rebellion against God and it's an assertion of our own sovereignty and authority. And I would argue that when we cease to believe in God, it's not just that we lose the sense of the divine, but as the Roman Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton put it, we lose the human. So I've been reading a great couple of books on Australia's religion. And I have no doubt at all after reading those books and looking at other history that Australia was built on Christian principles. You remove that, I think 
you're going to make Australia a much more inhumane place. And I'd be prepared uh, to, to argue that. That's why the ultimate in humanitarianism, the ultimate in humanism, is to enable people to know God. Because without that, we are missing an essential part of what it is to be human. And let me finish with this. Humans are mortal. You know, what's the statistic? 3.4% of people who get coronavirus are going to die. Okay? I'm sorry, 100% of people are going to die. That, that's one of the statistics that none of us can get around. And it's the panic that people have. You know, it just it, it, for me, it's incredible. We are mortal. And that's why Christ came. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. It's the most amazing thing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a human. With all that that involves, and it's incredibly complex in one sense, so that by his death he might make the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I think what we're seeing in our current culture is that fear working itself out. As If you're a Christian, I would say, follow Peter's advice, where he says, do not fear what they fear. But I would also say, we need to assert what it is to be human, the dignity of humanity, the worth of human beings, every single human being. So let's leave it there. In Psalm 8, verse 2 says, ordained praise. What does the ordained mean? Does it mean a sort of predestined? Yes, it does, in the sense of purpose. So what is your purpose? So Eric Little, for example, if you've seen that story in the film, he says, uh, God made me to run fast. Well, it's, it's what's our reason for being? <clears throat> and this is quite an astonishing thing, that the reason for human beings existing is to praise God. And therefore, if you're not doing that, you're missing out on a great part of your existence. Um, verse 5, how did David, uh, that's obviously the psalmist, not me, No, humans are made a little lower than the angels. How would David know this? What did David's era know about the angels? Well, here's a fascinating thing. Um, if you read Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, and it will take you some time, but it is well worth it, I think he... in um, Charles Taylor, Canadian, I think he incontrovertibly proves that the vast majority of humanity through the vast majority of time has been, inverted commas, spiritual. Uh, The belief in angels, spirits, and so on is innate, in other words. And people have to be educated out of that, if you like. Though it's quite paradoxical, isn't it? In our culture, people are more likely to be educated out of belief in God than they are out of belief in angels. Go to a bookshop, you'll see far more books on angels than you will on Jesus Christ. Um, how did David know the same way that we would know anything? Experience and revelation. We believe that the, the, the Bible is in, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes I think David spoke better than he knew, as did most of the prophets. Um, how do we discuss morality with non-Christians? How do we explain death to secularists? Well, in one sense, that's quite easy. You know, I mean, okay, I suggest you don't walk into your office with a T-shirt, which you wouldn't be allowed to wear anyway, with a tie on it, which has a, you know, a graveyard on it and saying, we're all going to die. You know, although in today's world, you probably get away with it. The thing you're referring to coronavirus, um, you could uh, emboss toilet paper with uh, man is mortal <laughs> to remind them every time. Um, you know, isn't it? It's, it's really, it used to be that sex was the taboo subject. You know, sex, never discuss sex, politics and death. Death is still the taboo subject, although I've noticed that ABC are starting producing a couple of shows about death 
and I don't know if you've got them here in Sydney, but death cafes were a kind of thing in Europe for a while, trying to teach people that death is nothing to be feared. I think that's a form of, of almost kind of brainwashing, actually. But discuss mortality with non-Christians. I, you know, it's, I'm sorry, it's, it's one of those things that affects every single one of us. Um, someone's been off work to go to a funeral. Um, I think death is the one thing that people just really struggle to face up to. And I suggest you don't go into work every day and talk about death, but um, you, you may, but, but it's, it's something that just comes across all the time. Serving God or being God or a God, the fall, uh, which interpretation is best? Okay, let me try and understand. This. Look, we were not made to be gods. When human beings try and be God, when they, they, they end up like, you know, Stalin or Hitler or whatever, or we're totally in, if we think we're totally in charge of our own lives. You know the wonderful story of uh, King Canute, that uh, he got his uh, throne bearers to take his throne into the sea and to um, try and hold back the waves. Now, people think that was foolish. It wasn't foolish. What he was doing was he was saying, I'm your king. I'm not God. I can't do this. And I, I, I feel that sometimes Scott Morrison should do something like that. Because one of the things I've noticed, I mean, I've discovered that Scott Morrison is to blame, according to the Sydney Morning Herald, for um, climate change, for uh, uh, the plague of rats, probably, for, you know, anything. And it's just, it's not so much that, um, I think what struck me with the bushfires recently was the way in which people look for someone to blame, but because they don't believe in God, they can't blame God anymore. And I just thought, my goodness, Australia really is that secular. But the fact is that human beings have this option. We either live as we were meant to be, serving someone who's greater than us, or we think we are the top of the evolutionary tree and everything's meant to serve us. Uh, Before the fall, when ruling over animals, did man eat animals? No. This is now the third time I've been asked that this week. Our vegan is beginning to uh, come out, but um, I, I, I still had bacon just now. Uh, apologies. Uh, no, I don't think that uh, we did eat animals before the fall. Uh, any thoughts on why Jesus came to earth as a man? Yes, very straightforward, to save men. It's only as a man that a, a man could atone for our sins. He had to become a man, but he also had to be God. What do you think is the key ways that humans are different from animals apart from lacking moral culpability? Rationality, language, um, I've said this many times and people have said, well, how can you prove it? Well, I'm sorry, proving a negative is extremely difficult. But I I grew up on a farm. I've never seen rabbits having a prayer meeting or cows having a philosophical discussion. And I don't think that pigs worry about the meaning of life. Human beings do. So we have rationality. We have um, moral capability. And I would say spirituality. Spirituality. Isn't it just supreme human arrogance to say we should have more rights than other species? If you genuinely believe that, then you're in deep, deep trouble. Because what gives you the right to kill anything? But how are you going to live? A snake comes into your place. Oh, you have as much right to be here as I do. Same with the rats and everything else. I don't think it's human arrogance. I think it's reality. I think it's the truth. I'll tell you what happens is the arrogance comes... When human beings say, well, maybe all species are the same, but we're going to determine who should live and who should die. Because that quickly changes into we're going to determine um, which 
human beings should live and should die. So in the Rwandan genocide, for example, the Houthis called the Tutsis, or was it the other way around, cockroaches, which gave them a reason for killing them. Hitler called the Jews rats. It's a reason for killing them. I would argue (coughs) that, you know, again, legally, you've got a, a real key issue there, here. Supposing you have someone comes and seeks permission from a court to kill their severely handicapped and disabled um, child who's in pain. Which of us wouldn't feel such empathy and such sympathy? But do we have a right to do that? Do we have a right to determine who should live and who should die? That's a very, very um, interesting and uh, disturbing question. And I do think, I mean, with the euthanasia debate, people say, well, you wouldn't treat a dog like that. I'm sorry, I, I grew up on a farm where I had a pet dog who started worrying sheep. Dead. We killed our dog. We had to. We had no choice with that at one level to protect the sheep. But if a, hu- if, if a human being had done that, we couldn't kill the human being because there is a difference. Doesn't evolution prove that mankind wasn't created but just delivered from other primates? Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, first of all, if you accept all of macroevolution, and there are people who dispute it, you've still got to say evolution is a biological theory of how life evolved. In other words, life was already there. So you'd have to say, how did life get there in the first place? I just listened to a debate yesterday on how life came into being. But also developed in a particular way. Why are human beings the way we are? I would argue the biblical explanation is, is not a, an argument of, the, of what we call God of the gaps. I would argue that, that um, people who are not scientists, but people who hold to the philosophy of scientism or naturalism end up arguing for a science of the gaps saying, we don't know, but one day we will. Uh, evolution doesn't prove that at all. Should we all be searching for knowledge when a little learning is a dangerous thing? I really hope whoever asked that is not a lawyer. Because I I, I want you to have a lot of learning, please, if you're going to be my lawyer. Um, What Paul is saying is a little learning is a dangerous thing. So use your mind. Use your logic. That probably means a lot of learning is quite a good thing. That's the way I would read that. But also, in reality, what he's saying is we all need to recognize that no matter how much we know, it's just a little in the whole pantheon of knowledge. One of the problems in today's culture is this, that because of Google, everyone thinks they know everything. When in reality, we know very little. And the little knowledge we have is dangerous. So you get an article on coronavirus, comes on social media, and suddenly you're the expert on coronavirus. A little knowledge, in that sense, is a dangerous thing. Uh, and, and I would argue that includes spiritually. Yeah, George. When you were talking about death, I, yeah. I rather like what uh, they quoted Clive James as saying before he died. Yeah. And he said, there's no need to panic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think most people live lives. Most people know intellectually that they're going to die. Most people live as if they're not going to die. There are some people who are so scared of death that they become psychologically disturbed you know they, they won't go out the door they won't you know i mean again you see this in the mass psychology of crowds with the coronavirus stuff i'm sorry but i think people who refuse to go to chinese restaurants 
part of it is, uh, I think part of it's a little bit racist, honestly, I, I think that. But part of it's just sheer stupidity. You know, and it's just, uh, but the Clive James thing, George, is interesting because his death was so incredibly sad and, and almost for me precisely because he said, I would say the one thing to fear in life is death. It is the last enemy. Um, it is an entrance into another world. And if you die without Christ, it's a world without hope. And I, that, that's the one thing. It's ironically, I think people fear almost everything. Underlying is the fear of death. They won't acknowledge it. Ecclesiastes basically says that there's two things that every human being has. A sense of beauty and the burden of what is this all about and I'm going to die. It's meaningless. It's all under the sun. And I think that most people do not consider these underlying questions. Every other question is an expression of those, but they don't get to the heart of it. So I would, I would tend to go to people and say, I'm sorry, but you, you are. Gonna, I mean, I've, I've used, uh, a couple of times in the past week, I've used this story of a friend of mine who's a minister, and he was asked to go and meet a man who's an alcoholic, and he was having the DTs, the withdrawal syndromes. He was you know, seeing spiders come out the wall and all that kind of stuff. And his family asked the minister, could you come in and talk to him? Because it's driving us crazy. So he went in and he sat down and the man said, you know, use lots of choice language that Australians are familiar with, but I won't use in an environment like this. And told him to get lost. Told him he had no interest in God, religion, anything like that. And eventually, after a, a, a while of this, the minister stood up and he, and he looked at him and he said, yeah, okay, I'm gone. I'm out of here. But he said, I will see you in church. And the guy said, no, you won't. He said, oh, yes, I will. It'll be in a coffin, and I'll be uh, commiserating with your loved ones around here. You're going to die. And he walked out. And this wasn't exactly subtle. Um, next Sunday, that guy was in church. And he became a Christian. Because the, he just, the, the knowledge of his mortality just really shook him. And I mean, can I just add something personal here? Even as a Christian, all my life, I've, as, a, as a Christian, I've had this fear of death as well. I knew I was going to die, and I, I couldn't imagine not living, and I couldn't imagine what heaven was like. And, I, you know, you sometimes think, what's the point of all this? What's the point of working? What's the point of, you know, everything when it's all going to go? You, you've got that tiny, beautiful wee baby in, in your hands, and you're thinking, well, they're born to die as well, you know. And it was only... After I was severely ill in, in 2011, when I came out and you know had to think about what life and what death was, that I realized that what C.S. Lewis talks about this world being the shadowlands is true, and that there's a reality beyond. And our life is getting ready for that, is being prepared for that. We are on a journey. And I think the point of your question is simply this, that, and with this I am going to finish, um, uh, it, it is... It's that we live our lives as though this was the reality and everything else was unreal. I think this is real, but I think it's a shadow of the ultimate reality. And I think Jesus brings us to the ultimate reality. And that's why this question that we're looking at, what are human beings, is so important. It's so vital. And it means that we have hope to offer absolutely everyone. But that hope, it comes in recognizing who we are as human beings, who Jesus is, and what the solution is. So... Coronavirus, maybe, according to somebody here, they're saying 100% of us will get it. Maybe 80%. Maybe it'll just all die out within, you know, there'll be uh, a solution. 
I don't know. And in one sense, I don't care about this percentages. 100% of us are born with sin. 100% of us will die. And 100% of us need Jesus Christ. The, if you like, the antivirus to the virus of sin is Jesus Christ. And I, I think if, if, if you had discovered the antidote to coronavirus, you'd be, apart from making a fortune, but you're a generous man, George, you wouldn't be interested in making money, you'd be running around handing it out for free. And that's what we've got in the good news of the gospel. So... Uh, 8.19, I was told, finish, and I'm done. Okay, um, please join me in thanking David. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.